at the risk of showing my age, does anyone remember sea monkeys? It was a fad in the 80s for children. They caught them with the advertisements on the back of the comic books. You, you wrote off and you got this little sachet which you mixed with water. And before you knew it, you had bog water with all these creepy crawlies moving about. I don't think it was a fad in this country, but in South Africa, all little children had silkworms. You kept them in a shoebox under your bed. You wrote off for them and they sent you the eggs. And then they hatched and you had all these caterpillars that you had to feed lettuce leaves too, and eventually they spun these little silken cocoons and out came these pure white moths. I remember asking if I could have uh, silkworms and getting a, a negatory from my parents, but I went ahead and did it anyway. And then when the um, silkworms were still in their cocoons, we went away on vacation and these moths found their way out of the box and all over the house and laid their eggs on the curtains and the sheets and the linens. And when we came back, it was mayhem. I'm surprised my parents ever let me have pets after that. But we had a veritable menagerie, dogs and cats, chickens and pigeons, even a sheep. Um, I even had a pet crow that I taught how to talk. Every kid would prefer to get a puppy than to get sea monkeys. But responsible parents first let Johnny learn responsibility for something living first on smaller creatures, like a goldfish or a hamster. Now, when we're talking about God's grace, as St. Paul does in our second reading, most Catholics realize that the word grace means gift. But if you stop at that, you risk thinking of God's grace as a gift that is something static, like a vase or a brooch. Whereas grace, actually, is something alive and active. It needs to be nourished. It needs air and light. It needs exercise. This gift of God's grace is faith. Now, at baptisms, baptisms, parents and godparents are interrogated at the doors of the church with two questions. The first, what do you ask of the church? And they answer, faith. And second question, what does faith give? And they answer, eternal life. And here we have it in a nutshell. Living faith, like a fire within needing constant kindling. Dearly beloved of God, nothing is more important than your faith. Nothing is more central to faith than faith. It might sound ridiculous, but it's not superfluous to say it. Nothing substitutes for faith. Nothing. Faith must lie at the center of everything we do here. Otherwise, we are simply building castles in the sky. When all the rosaries are prayed, the masses said, the confessions made, the novenas concluded, the ceremonies ended, if these have not been about cultivating the essential relationship of faith, we've fundamentally been wasting our time. It's the number one reason people fall away from going to church. When all this seems like an end in itself, they discern the futility of it all. 
St. Paul warns that even the most sublimely beautiful undertakings in life are pointless if we have not faith. And at the end of the day, that is what we are here for, cultivating the life of faith within us, because it is God's own life within us. So what then is faith? And where do we get it? The first mistake we all tend to make with faith is assuming faith is my gift to God, how much I believe. And we struggle terribly with the notion of faith where it's all about my feelings towards God or some onerous duty that I owe him. Certainly we are gathered here this morning for worship, and worship is something that all creatures owe to God. Worship. But faith... Faith is so much more his gift to us than our gift to him. Long before I believed in him, he believed in me. He conceptualized me in his mind. And he had to play this matchmaking game through the centuries to get my parents together and my parents' parents together and my parents' parents' parents together to realize me in reality because he believed in me, his handiwork. Long before I loved him, he loved me, 2,000 years ago, in fact. But having received this gift of faith, this talent, the purpose is for the master, not for ourselves. We are unprofitable servants. Our talent is not for bearing in our chest and feeling groovy, the servant does not become more important than the master for having received his gifts. They are given for service, the service of faith. And faith is verified in its fruits of service. This morning we heard Fulton Sheen tell us that only the creature God made in his own image and likeness enjoys this capacity for faith, this capacity for relationship with him. And I say Capacity, but not quite yet reality, because the reality is that original sin has rendered us faithless, naturally speaking. Only God now can supply that unrealized potential or capacity within us that we long for and we seek for all our lives long. Only he can supply it. That's why we call faith one of the theological virtues. Theos is Greek for God. The theological virtues do not come from man. They come only from God. They are divine, not human. They are supernatural, not natural. Try as we might, friends, we cannot generate one iota of faith. Not even the size of a mustard seed. Alas, that's why so many give up in utter frustration, because they misunderstand that they are not the protagonists. We need to turn the tables in our spiritual life. Faith is not so much about what I give to God as what God gives to me. Faith is his life in me. Not my life, but his in me. And we have to ask for faith every day. Everything good comes from God, and he is most generous in the giving of it. The faith with which I am to believe in him, he gives it. 
The love with which I am to love him, it comes from him who is love. How could a mere creature and a fallen creature at that ever love God or believe in God with a love or a faith worthy of so great a God? Only if we have that love from him or if that faith itself came from God could it ever be equal to the measure of his majesty. And that is why we need to spend the time with him, not masters, but servants. Not our love for him, but his love for us. To have an experience of the love which brought you about changes everything. To have an experience of the faith God has in you. Forget about your faith in God for a moment. He has confidence in you. He believes in you. He trusts you. He gives you the gift of divine grace, which is his own life. He gives you a blood transfusion. He gives you the sacraments, the body and blood, soul and divinity of his dearly beloved Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He hands that to you as if you were the Immaculate Virgin Mother of God. How much confidence he has in us. When we pray, when we come before our Lord in adoration, not so much to look at him, but to allow him to look at you, his handiwork, in which he delights, in which he is fascinated. Every movement, movement of your will, he hangs with eager anticipation. Have an experience of the regard in which you are held by God, the high regard. And let that be the beginning of your life of faith. Because nothing is more important in our life than our faith relationship. Nothing. Everything else. Everything, no matter how urgent or important it may seem, must take its place in line behind this first relationship of faith, the priority of faith. Making our life of faith subservient to any other life project subverts the divine order of things and attempts to make the master the servant and the servant the master. Prioritize then your life of faith above all things in your life. And like the father of the epileptic, beg for faith's increase. I believe, Lord, help thou my unbelief. If it seems slow, wait for it. It is worth it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God grant us the grace of final perseverance. Amen.